Hi, welcome back to Mind Your Body. I know it's been a really long time since I published a new episode, and I've just been super busy launching my new signature program, working one-to-one with women who've been in past abusive relationships. And uh, just in case you're interested, potentially, I'm actually offering 20-minute emotional release sessions, kind of as a taster to this bigger program. No obligations, but I figure this is a nice way to introduce And in this session, we'll recognize what emotions are trapped in your body and how you react to them so that they stop controlling you. And we'll also come up with a step-by-step plan to start releasing those emotions through very simple movements. And we'll also tap into movements that boost your confidence so that you can shift your energy anytime and anywhere that you feel like you're about to uh, shut down or snap. So if you are interested in having this 20-minute emotional release session with me, I would love to meet you and move with you. And I will attach the link to book in in the podcast notes or if you're on the website, it'll be in the the blog post. So anyway, I want to quickly get to what today's session, or today's session, (laughs) Ah. I interviewed Bethany Matheson, who is a military spouse and is also providing therapy for military families. And she's also launching a very cool project, providing yoga, trauma-informed yoga, excuse me, for um, people all around the world. So I was really fascinated by what she shared about her work and and how um, she's going to make even a further impact with people who are struggling with trauma. So enjoy. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Hey, Bethany. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, I was pretty fascinated when I got your email about you being a military spouse and a trauma therapist as well. And I'm really excited to talk about the intersection of all of that and your experiences. So if you can start off by introducing yourself, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Bethany Matheson. And like you said, I am a, a therapist and I do specialize in trauma. That's my my niche that keeps getting you know, more and more important to me as I do the work and, and I am a military spouse. So that interacts with the work um, quite a bit because I have lived in uh, four states in the last 18 months and been able to work with a wide variety of, um, of people, whether military or civilian. And so it's really informed the way that I'm seeing um, the, the work of trauma therapy and the the kind of holes that are there that need to be filled for communities it's been fascinating so yeah can you tell us a little bit more about um how your work intersects with your your life as a military spouse like what are some common threads that you see there yeah um i think that the military community um there is, there is just a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on military families. Not that there isn't stress and pressure on all families, because there, there absolutely is in different ways, but there's just a kind of unique 
set of needs for um, military personnel and for their families, for their spouses, for their kids, for their uh, extended family, and and having an opportunity. I literally have worked at three different uh, army posts in the last year and a half, and so getting to see the different needs in those communities has been um, important because it's uh, it's kind of redirecting some of the ways that I thought that those communities had needs when it came to trauma therapy um, and just therapy in general. Uh, I, I don't, I think that I end up seeing um, quite a lot of complex PTSD um, because that's, that's what I am known for helping people with, but there's a lot of anxiety and depression and um, other, you know, there's a lot of grief. I mean, there's just a lot that the community needs. And then I think for me personally, I just have been learning a lot about um, self-care <laughs> as a military spouse. Uh, we just came came off of this this last Diddy move, which is the move where you move all your own stuff from state to state. Um, and so I have really been practicing and learning what it means to be healthy myself or as healthy as I possibly can, um, dealing with stress of, you know, deployment or no deployment and um, time away versus time together. And so it creates a lot of empathy for that community when you're participating in it and um, really requires an excellent level of self-reflection and, and awareness. So I developed, developed a really specific morning routine where I'm doing yoga, I'm reading the books that I'm reading, I'm sitting with my coffee and spending time before I go anywhere else because um, it's, it's like an alignment thing. I've got to get myself, my head on straight before I go help anybody else with anything. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. doing so many moves in such a short amount of time, like I imagine you have to find a routine where you can find it. Yeah, yeah, because the different jobs that I've had um, since we got married have been really different, you know, group practice, um, being in a setting on post, um, being in a community setting that's just with kids or versus being in a setting where I'm working both with children and adults and the schedules completely change. So yeah, it has been, um, an exercise in flexibility for sure. Yeah. What are some of the things, like the very common things that you help your clients with that um, are a struggle for you to follow through on? And I just like, I thought of that question in the moment because I know that there's some things that I help my clients with and it's like so much harder when I put in, try to put it into my own practice. This is like a accountability 101. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, it's, it's so funny you ask that because one of the things I've been working on is developing a really great running routine. Um, I hate running. I really hate it. I, it's not my favorite thing to do, but it's uh, something that I often encourage clients to do because it's, there are many benefits of, you know, and um, running is just one example, but, but uh, really it's physical activity or, or um, you know, just having an outlet, which obviously you know a lot about, but it's funny because I have to keep myself accountable to doing it because I feel obligated to because I ask so many other people to try to take care of themselves and take care of their bodies in that way. Um, but it is a struggle, especially when it's 
um, hot and you're tired and you don't necessarily, you love how you feel after you spend that time taking care of yourself, but the motivation to get going can be very challenging. So um, that's the routine thing. I think it's just about me uh, being honest with myself about a routine that's going to be effective and be something I can stick with. And then um, having accountability from other people has really helped me. Having accountability from um, outside influences has helped me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I wonder about the flexibility about what the physical activity can be like at different times. You're energy levels different your emotional level is different your physical is different so running I, I agree with you I hate running and I don't do it no <laughs> like I'll do anything else for some exertion but um yeah like attuning to what your body needs and, and doing it at that time yeah well and, and getting up and doing um yoga every morning is big for me and of course that's part of what I do is trauma-informed yoga, but even if yoga means I sit on my yoga mat for five minutes and meditate, like I still count that as, as yoga as my practice. And, um, that's a, that makes a big difference in my, my productivity and my mood and my, um, my general niceness throughout the day too. So, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of the like big feelings that comes up from being a military spouse? Um, I think that there is a, uh, I can only speak for myself. I have heard some of these themes from other people, but I, um, can only speak for myself. Oh gosh, hold on. Something just happened. Okay. I'll pause the recording. Okay. I'm ready now. <laughs> It made a buzzing sound. <laughs> so anyway, um, for military spouses, I can only speak for me. I can't speak for everybody else. But um, I have experienced um, really working on a sense of powerlessness um, or like a lack of agency. Uh, and that, that manifests itself in a lot of different, you're talking about, about like core emotions, mad, sad, glad, scared, embarrassed, ashamed, like some of the really deep, stuff. Um, it comes out in different ways. I think that some, a lot of times for me, it's fear. Like that tends to be the go-to. Um, I, I tend to have pretty high anxiety just as a human in the world. And so I have had to work very purposefully on um, noticing and addressing my anxiety and my, my fear, my tendency to jump to uh, conclusions or for that to be maybe the first response. Um, sometimes there's an experience of just sadness because you're missing time. Um, for me, the missed time with my husband who I love and who's my best friend and I just, you know, being with him is my favorite thing. Uh, there is some genuine sadness about it. It's just part of it. You know that that's what's going to happen when that's part of your world and part of your life. But um, being honest about it when I start feeling sad has been really helpful. Just being able to say it to myself, being able to say it to him or to, you know, my mom or uh, a close friend. Um, that's really a powerful thing for me. Because if I try to pretend like that doesn't happen, mm. then I, you know, 
when you stuff emotions, they come out somehow in, in other ways. It's the volcano eventually. So better to just address it when it comes up. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can't even imagine how hard that is. I just have my husband next door every day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and who are you helping military families primarily now or? Um, uh, it just depends on the job that I'm in at the time. Um, I would say when you're, when you live right outside of a military post or on post, I've only had one job so far where I was working on post. Um, and, and obviously if you're working on post, then you're working with military personnel, you're working with their families. Um, the other jobs that I've had have been a combination of military and civilian families, but I would say just because of the skew of, um, you know, how many people that live in that area are there because of being at the military post, it tends to be a heavier population that is um, of military personnel, yeah. Hmm. So is this always your intention to work with this population or you just kind of fell into it and fell in love with it? Yeah, it wasn't, you know, um, when I decided to go to grad school for, for therapy, for clinical mental health, I didn't have that frame of mind because I, I met my husband um, right the summer before I started grad school. So I had already made, I had this plan that I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to specialize in trauma. I knew that. Um, and then it was just call it fate or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, it just so happened. I ended up marrying somebody who, who was in the military. And so now I'm very passionate about it because I, I see that there is such a huge need and, um, and I want to, I want to be somebody that can help fill that gap a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so you now focus on somatic and emotional regulation. Is that right? Yeah, well, so the company that I am, that I am launching that is called Bravely Being um, is, is specifically about that exactly body regulation and emotion regulation and I I have um, worked in that specific arena with a lot of clients I um, I am trained in trauma-informed yoga and I also am trained in EMDR which I don't know if you're familiar with that um, that type of therapy at all but it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and it's a, a really a specific kind of neurobiological treatment for trauma that involves bilateral stimulation. So you're connecting kind of the right and left hemispheres of the brain. Um, and I, I am a, a huge advocate for that work because I've seen it be transformational for people. Um, it just has, has changed um, a lot for some of my clients. And you experience it yourself when you go through the training. So that was pretty important for me um, personally as well. So, um, so yeah, being, being aware of the way that our bodies hold our trauma stories and the way that we respond to triggers and the, the layers of that has, um, has become more and more important to me. It was always important to me. I have a background in, in the ballet and modern dance world and um, had a spine injury that I recovered from. And, um, and yoga became a really great tool. Um, the, the company that I'm, that I'm starting is, is 
one of the elements of it is using trauma-informed yoga because it is very accessible, um, even for people that have never done yoga or are scared of yoga, because it's such a different way of, of using, um, using yoga as a practice. So that's my area of focus. That's where I think I'm continuing to, to head. That's the direction that I'm going. Um, yeah. People like Bessel van der Kolk and, you know, I mean, there's so many amazing authors and researchers who have paved a, a path for us to clearly start heading in that direction. It's for me, it's a no brainer. Like there's just no reason um, to, to not go that route, you know? Right. And as someone, you grew up dancing, right? Yes. As, as you have that internal understanding that there's a serious connectedness between our bodies and our memories and experiences and emotion, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's really profound. Once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it because, um, I, I have literally watched people's bodies change as they go through a process of, of EMDR or they start to use mindfulness strategies or meditation strategies or they start practicing grounding regularly, bringing the, the physical into the emotional and cognitive. I mean, it, it's just, it's intuitive once you see it, but like, it's not the tradition of the field, the tradition of the mental health field. We, we, we haven't been going that direction. So I think some, it's, it takes some, some effort to make that, that shift, which you know, again, because of being a dance therapist, it's a, you're, you are fully enveloped in that world, which I think is so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know as much about EMDR and I'm not sure if my audience does. So can you share some interventions or something you know, maybe one intervention that you, you do that's kind of like, um, can paint a picture of what that looks like? Yeah. Um, it's very hard to explain without experiencing it. I would say for, for anybody who has been through, um, complex trauma, long-term trauma, that it works very well for acute trauma as well. And it actually works for everything because the principle of it is that our brains store trauma or just the hard stuff. I often refer to it with clients as like, this is the old hard stuff that's coming up now because our brains are, are like trees and you've got this root system from really early on and the rest of your brain is kind of growing and forming out of that root system. And so the, the kind of principle of EMDR is that when you go through something that your system kind of doesn't have an opportunity to finish processing at the time, something really hard, um, the, the record player in your brain gets stuck, the needle gets stuck on that moment, and your brain can't file it the same way that it files other memories. So it's not being stored as a memory, it's being stored as an experience that keeps being re-experienced when stuff gets triggered. Stuff that's small, like a smell or 
you know, the, the typical example of a car backfiring and somebody who's been in combat all of a sudden hits the deck because they heard the car backfire. It's because their body heard that sound and it was a trigger for the old stuff, you know? Um, and so the EMDR is a process. Your therapist has to be trained in it and it's a fairly extensive process to get trained. But it, it's a process of kind of understanding what we learned about ourselves as a result of that experience, how our brain kind of digested that and held on to it, going back as early as you can with that particular idea of yourself. So if it's, um, I'm not loved, you know, if there's early trauma that started this idea that I'm not loved, we go back as early as we can and we use reprocessing, which is literally bilateral stimulation is, um, it can be tapping. The traditional way of using it is actually eye movements. Um, because again, it's literally connecting the right and left to left hemispheres of your brain. Um, it can be, there's a buzzing that goes back and forth in your ears. It depends. The sensory part of it depends on what people feel comfortable with. Um, but we use that process to reintegrate and kind of finish processing trauma. So instead of taking like, like um, other methods of therapy where we kind of take other stuff and lay it over the brain's experiences, the way the brain is, um, where we're, you know, nothing against like solution-focused therapy or CBT or any of that because it's all phenomenal in its own right, but that's where we're kind of um, – we are taking stuff now and, and creating something new, but the, the purpose of EMDR is to re reorganize and create new pathways in the brain. Um, and it's, it's so cool. It's not really something clients can do on their own. There are some interventions. There are things like, like butterfly tapping that is a, it's a self-regulation strategy and it's bilateral stimulation. Uh, the reason that walking can be so regulating is because that's natural bilateral stimulation in your body. Uh, so, you know, drumming with kids, there are so many ways of doing this bilateral stimulation because you can use drumming, you can use drawing. There are lots of natural ways uh, within play therapy that, that that can be contrived as well. So it's complicated, but it's awesome <laughs> in my opinion. No, I, yeah, I get the concept more. You explained that really well. Um, are, is there something that you're saying or guiding in words while this is happening? And yeah, it's a very specific protocol, um, a very specific script almost during the actual process of reprocessing. Uh, you don't say a lot. It's not like traditional talk therapy because the the body and the brain is like restoring reintegrating doing a lot of work so you actually try to stay out of it as much as possible um so there's a, a series of words and phrases that are used at key moments in the process that are basically that are scripted um and then there are of course as with anything things that you might have to add in depending on the situation or um you know, I mean, there, there are exceptions to that, like, as with everything. But it's not a process where they talk and share and you talk and share. Like, it is, um, it is a process where the, the provider steps back and, 
and lets the brain finish what it needs to finish. Um, and of course, it's, it's within the context of really great therapy, this only happens, EMDR is happening following lots of safety being established, relationship building, skill building, mindfulness and body regulation strategies outside of EMDR, lots of resource building. Um, you know, it's uh, with every therapy you're going at, at the client's pace. So. Right, and, and with every therapy, the relationship is, in my opinion, the most important part still. Well, and based on research, it is. I mean, it, it's, it is that that's exactly true that when it comes down to it, the type of therapy matters so much less than the relationship. The relationship is the, is the key always. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and how do you, this came up for me, how do you know that it's finished? I heard you say that a few times. That the reprocessing is finished? Yeah. There's a scale, a, a, a sub scale that you use to scale from zero to 10, the level of disturbance. Um, and so the, the goal is to have a, a disturbance level be down to zero. And then there is also a scale from, uh, that goes up to seven, that is a, a positive cognition, basically the opposite. So if my negative cognition, my negative belief is I'm not loved, then the opposite might be I am, I'm loved or I am, you know, I am worthy of love or something like that. And so the goal is to have that, the unit of distress down to zero, the unit of um, the positive self concept, that, that idea up to seven. So, yeah. Cool. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Are you bringing this into your new business or like, what's that going to look like? Can you let us know? Uh, no, I can't because I can't do therapy in my new business um that wouldn't be ethical and it's just not possible <laughs> the new business is really focusing around using um trauma-informed yoga to teach the the regulation skills um the emdr is something that has to take place in the context of individual therapy um it's, it's not something that can be used really in any other setting as far as i understand to the level of my expertise um, but the, um, the way that I frame trauma and attachment and those experiences has definitely been influenced by the way that I have seen EMDR work, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So you're going to have regulation tools for people and and like what kinds of, can you give us like a sneak peek of, of what some of those might look like? Yeah, so Bravely Being is gonna be um, across a few different formats, but the first main kind of push with this is a YouTube channel that is all trauma-informed yoga and teaching regulation strategies. Um, you can find absolutely amazing yoga classes on YouTube already for free, right? There are so much of that out there but I have, um, I have known a lot of individuals who, who have a trauma history, who have maybe gone to take a traditional yoga class or taken a class online or something that wasn't a trauma-informed class, and it's such a triggering experience for them that they won't go back to it, which is reasonable. Um, so using trauma-informed yoga to help teach these skills is something really important to me, and I've 
worked, I've done, you know, classes and stuff only, I only teach in that way. That is the only way that I'm really interested in teaching. Um, and so providing classes for free and doing a lot of psychoeducation is my goal because I want people to be able to reconnect to their bodies and kind of the, the mission statement, the overarching goal for this is to break the cycle. Um, that's like something that has been important to me my whole life to see people be able to break the cycle that they've been in the unhealthy cycles, the things that have been holding them back, the, the trauma, sometimes the, the trauma that's been there for generations, you know? Um, and so the, the purpose of bravely being is to give people an opportunity to reconnect to their bodies to reconnect to their emotions so that they can start breaking some of those cycles. And then hopefully to inspire them to go find more resources, to go find a great therapist in their area to, you know, seek out other, other resources. I'm hoping this is something that's a gateway for people to, to get into um, really um, earnest self-care, not just like Instagram self-care, you know? Um, so. We'll see. I, I mean, I'm really excited about it and I've, I've had a great response so far. So, Yeah, that's so important. And it's like, I really relate to what you said about, um, you know, people can take a yoga class online or anywhere and it's not necessarily trauma informed. It's so triggering. And a lot of the clients who I work with are dancers or, you know, maybe it's not, not identified with dancers, but they're, they're movers. Like mm -hmm. they they want to move their bodies more so they go and try a dance class or even um like an, a more open dance kind of explore explorative class um and it feels so unsafe um and that's you know it it's not a, a place where it's necessarily meeting them them where they're at in terms of regulation and stimulation and all of that and so it's so important to have that space where like, yes, you can meet those needs of moving and expressing yourself um, and the other, you know, whatever other goals that you have for your clients, but in a safe way and with the, the trust of somebody, like even if your stuff is online and they're kind of videos, I don't know if yours are like, interactive but it's still like I can still trust you through the screen absolutely and yeah and, and like we were saying before about the relationship that that my introduction video to the company that's on the website and on YouTube is um the first thing I say is hey I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you because establishing safety is the most important thing I know that that's true. I'm going to keep focusing on that because whether people ever meet me in person or not which hopefully they will I've got lots of plans of how to bring this to communities more and more. But for the meantime, when they're practicing from their living room, you know, I, I want them to feel like they have an idea of who I am and that I'm a safe person. And then the, the whole, the reason that trauma informed yoga is very different when it's done well is because it uses language in a very specific way to make it inclusive and make it safe and make it um, accessible to people who are learning or relearning about their bodies. Uh, that's one of the things I love about it is there is a specific way of talking. There's a specific way of 
explaining movement. We take a lot of the, the, the fancy stuff out of it. We, you know, at least for me, I don't use the, the, the Sanskrit terminology and stuff. Like I try to label things in a way that makes sense to people who haven't taken yoga before or who have and found it very triggering. Um, to, because it's such an amazing resource and in, on so many levels, in so many ways, it's just an absolutely beautiful way of moving. Um, but, but there are lots of people that feel left out of it and just feel like left out of being connected to their bodies in the world anyway. So yeah, I was going to say being left out of moving at all. Like sometimes you have a really horrible experience with moving your body or connecting to your body. And it didn't happen in a safe place and it discourages you from getting back there. And that like the disconnect starts happening and happens even more and more and more. And yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's like, I'm grateful for people like you who are trying to um, have people trust in their bodies again and, and showing them to, that, that it's safe and it can be safe and it can be amazing actually. It's, it is amazing. Absolutely. I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I love what you're doing. And you said you have a website? Yeah, bravelybeing.com. And there's a Facebook page and an Instagram and YouTube. If you if you look up Bravely Being, you'll find us. The the logo is Bravely Being with a little elephant. So you can there's just it's out there. It's ready. So. Are you saying bravely being? Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. And that came out of being somebody who has a lot of anxiety. Being brave is uh, like a theme. So that's that's where we're headed. Yeah, I love it. Thanks. Um, to end, is there one tip that you can give to us about like what's what's a really uh, I don't know, something helpful to help regulate like on the spot? Yeah, I think that the place that I start with people is typically um, using grounding. So planting your feet on the floor and actually noticing what the floor feels like on the bottoms of your feet, whether your feet are in shoes or not. Imagining your feet sinking into wet sand on the edge of the ocean and the waves and the way that that feels as the waves kind of come and go, that sensation in and of itself is enough to start a process of regulation in your body. And from there, you're able to move forward. So it's great for anxiety, it's great for depressive symptoms, it's great for trauma triggers. And it's something that people can do anywhere. They can sit and focus on grounding their feet into the floor and just noticing what that feels like. They can be standing and giving a presentation in front of a group of people, you know, and there's, um, it's very accessible. So I would love for everybody that watches this to try it. <laughs> yeah. And trying it when you are in a place of calm and regulation so you can internalize that. Yeah. So that you can access it pretty easily and quickly when you're standing in front of people giving a presentation. Yeah, absolutely. Got to practice it. So it's in there before trying to use it somewhere else. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah. Great talking to you too. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye.